You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. My name is Ben, and I'm the pastor of Sun Life Church. Uh, I, you know, before I even start preaching, I just want to say that the heart of this church here is discipleship. It's about helping us follow Jesus. And I know that following Jesus is not easy, uh, but it's worth it. It's, it's a hard road, but it's so worth it. And we do that together. We cannot do that alone. I don't see anywhere in Scripture, I don't see a theology of growing in Jesus alone. I just don't see it. And so I want to challenge everyone here at Sun Life Church to know that if you have made the decision to follow Jesus and you want to keep following Him, it is very, very hard to do it alone. You need a community where the people that you're part of, they're not just you know, a project, but they are your family, they are your friends, they're the people who love you and they're going to encourage you and speak life and truth and wisdom to help you keep following Jesus. And if you're not in a connect group, if you're not in a small group, if you're not going to Sun Life Kids or Sun Life Youth or Sun Life Young Adults or Sun Life Adults, I just want to encourage you to just really take that leap of faith, be courageous and find a group of people. Yes, they're going to be weird people. Yes, they might not think like you. Yes, they'll be strange. But hey, that's the beauty of the body of Christ. They were all different, but yet in Christ we are one. In Christ we are the same. So I just love the testimony, the, the highlight reel here. It encourages me, and I want to hear more of that. Uh, if you have your Bible, please turn with me uh, to, to Scripture. This morning here, we are looking at the Anointed One. This morning, we're looking at the passage where Jesus is um, anointing. But actually, before I actually talk about that, can I just plug something, because I might forget. If you have served at Sun Life Church Throughout the year, I would love for you to be at our appreciation day, which is next Saturday. So far, I've, I've been told there's around 100 people already going, and we're catering for more. So if you haven't registered yet, please go to the app, go to the website, okay, sign up. Uh, it's for everyone who serve and their family, okay? If you've got your spouse, you bring them all along. It's going to be a king's party. There'll be plenty of food, lots of time. For us to enjoy. Just picture this, you get there and there's a, a do-it-yourself um, grazing board that you get to eat some cheese and have some bit of fun while the kids play and then we're going to eat together and then I'm going to have speeches and have a great, great afternoon. So please, can I just say, if you haven't signed up, you've got to sign up by the end of today because we have to cut it off for catering purposes. Okay, so please don't go, yeah, I'll just rock up. You, you can, but you shouldn't because we don't have the catering for you. So please keep that in mind. Okay. Now, before I read the text, picture this with me. You're at a dinner party, and you've realized that you're not even on the invite list. All right? You're going along because your friend has invited you, and you shouldn't be there. But you go anyway. Every moment you're thinking, would someone find out? <laughs> would someone know that I actually have no connection here with the group of people? I'm not even on the invite list. Would you still go? And you probably only go if it's really worth it or there's something you really desire. And in the text this morning, we see a lady 
who comes along to a dinner party and she's not even invited. I want you to picture her. She's outside the house and she knows there's a party. She knows there's some people inside and she wants to go in, but she doesn't have the courage to go in. She's waiting for the right moment, but she swallows her breath and she goes, I'm walking in because I want to be in there. And this is the scene of this lady who walks in and she begins to anoint Jesus. So Mark chapter 14, verses 3 to 9. Let me read the word of God. While he, that's Jesus, was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman, this is the woman who's not invited, came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and she poured the perfume on his head. So she begins to anoint Jesus out of nowhere. She shouldn't be there. She's not invited. But she walks in and she breaks this very expensive jar and she begins to anoint Jesus. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And the last verse, verse 9, Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached, Throughout the world, what she has done will always be told in memory of her. There are three scenes in the text. And in three scenes or three conversations, there are three lessons that I want to teach with you. But this morning, you're in for a treat because this morning, I believe it's going to be my best message ever. There are three interactions. The woman's action. The guest's indignation and the Lord's commendation. Let me pray and we'll unpack those three points. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that we as a church love you as we study your word. And I pray right now, God, that you would speak to us through your word. Help us to hear from you. Not just be hearers, but also doers of your word that will leave this morning loving Jesus even more wanting to do the things of Jesus, wanting to live for your glory alone. So God, will you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive your word. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, be our great teacher right now. We welcome you right now to be our great teacher. Bless us. Be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is Micah. I am one of the youth directors here. Um, And I'm going to be talking about the woman's action. All right. So first verse in our passage today. While Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at table. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. I would like to show you this woman's action 
and highlight this action as an appropriate response to a Jesus worthy of everything we can give. Now, unlike others at this particular dinner party, this woman both believed that Jesus was who he said he was, and she acted the only way she thought was appropriate. She believed Jesus was who he said he was, and she acted accordingly. Now, um, random question, but has anyone smelt Katie this morning? No? Um, well, uh, uh, our, our wedding anniversary was a few, uh, a few weeks ago, and I bought her a really nice bottle of Coco Chanel Paris for our wedding anniversary gift. And so she is smelling good. Um, now, yeah, this, this Coco Chanel Paris perfume, it's expensive stuff. It didn't break the bank, but it was expensive. Um, and I want to ask you a question. Would it have been appropriate for me to just go and pick up a little, one of those little test bottles of perfume for Katie's anniversary gift? Would that have been appropriate? I got a thumbs up from someone. I'm not going to point them out. Um, I should not have got that thumbs up. No, it would not have been appropriate. Why? Because the gift would have very little value. It doesn't cost me anything. Therefore, it doesn't accurately show my love for Katie. Now, just for those numbers, numbers people out there, I did some really simple maths. Um, I'm only capable of very simple maths. Um, let's, yeah, let's compare my Chanel bottle with the bottle of perfume that this woman in the passage used to anoint Jesus. So, um, block your ears, Katie. Um, the, the Chanel perfume that I bought for Katie was around $140. Versus this alabaster jar of pure nard was worth 300 denarii, which is the equivalent to around 70,000 Australian dollars. That was a $70,000 jar of perfume that this woman has just broken. And she didn't just pour a little bit on Jesus, but she poured the entire $70,000 jar on Jesus. This was not a test bottle. This was a gift with a massive sacrifice attached. This woman saw an opportunity to bless, love, and honor who she believed was the King of glory and the Son of God. She sacrificed her life savings and her financial security because she counted one opportunity to bless Jesus as worth it. We see in verse 6, this was an action that seemed reckless and wasteful in the eyes of other people at this dinner party, but it was a beautiful thing in the eyes of Jesus. Now, as I wrap up this point, I have two questions for you. My first question, do you believe that Jesus is worthy? Do you believe that Jesus is worthy of this kind of sacrifice, of this kind of gift? If no, then I hope and pray that you'll continue to seek Jesus and understand who he really is. But if you do believe in Jesus, you do believe that he's worthy of this kind of sacrifice, and that leads to my second question. My second question is, what beautiful thing can you do for Jesus? For this woman in the passage, it was pouring out an expensive jar of perfume. This gift, 
um, that she gave, it was a gift that Jesus would have still been able to smell when he was nailed to the cross just a few days later. It was a gift appropriate for our worthy king. Now, obviously, we don't have Jesus here physically in front of us, but we do know his presence is here with us. So let's be a church family that loves Jesus like this woman did. Let's be, yeah, I, I don't know what, what your beautiful gift personally will look like. It can be up to you to ponder what that could potentially look like. But as you ponder this, you might realize that it's going to cost you something. Maybe money, maybe reputation, time, effort, status. I'm not sure, but there will probably be a cost attached. So let's be challenged by this woman's action and respond appropriately to the Jesus we believe in. Good morning, church. My name's Ali. I'm on the staff team here. And today, I'm going to teach you about the indignation of Simon's guests. So we're going to learn in verse in four, uh, 4 and 5 about the importance of knowing Jesus for who he truly is. In verse 4, we read, Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another. What's the meaning of indignance? When I read this, I had no idea. And I'm not sure about you guys, but uh, the dictionary definition for indignance is anger, annoyance, or suspicion towards something we perceive as unfair. So why did they feel this way? Okay, imagine with me right now, all of us in here. We are Simon's guests. We're having a men's dinner. Jesus is there. We're at Simon's house, and this woman walks in. Okay, Mike has covered this, but uh, at the, um, for context, during those days, we, we didn't have gender equality, right? If you're a woman, uh, you had little rights, little social uh, authority, and your, your spending power and your earning power was very limited, right? So you needed to depend on a man for financial support. And this basically means you couldn't just do whatever you wanted. So this woman rocks up, and she starts pouring what Michael said and what the text says, a year's wage of $70,000 on Jesus. And then the text says, all of us in here, we're men. We're looking at this woman and we start having a go at her. We say, what a waste. We say, she's wasted $70,000. Look, we love Jesus. He's cool, right? He's our mate. We're having dinner with him. He does miracles. Jesus is awesome. But isn't, a, isn't there a better way of spending this money? I think about this. Maybe give to the poor. We tell her, God tells us in the Bible, love the poor and needy. And then surely save the rest, right? I've told you this woman has little means of making money. She's very dependent. And now she's gone out and in a moment, she's poured out this whole alabaster jar. As Micah said, she didn't just pour half of it. She poured everything out on one of our mats. Church, can you relate to the indignance? They were frustrated. Why would you go and do that? They were telling her there's a way wiser way of spending it. There's a better way of spending it. But if there's nothing wrong, nothing apparently wrong with what they said, then church, what's the real underlying issue here? 
I've already told you, today's lesson is to recognize Jesus for who he really is. And it's so easy for us to say, oh, his guests missed it. They didn't, they didn't know who he was. But let me challenge you, what, what if that's some of us here today? Have some of us accepted Jesus into our lives, and he's become a friend, yes. But is that all he is, a friend that does miracles? And then what about this woman? Yeah, okay, I told you the lesson. She knew Jesus for who he was. But how? Think about this. She probably had an encounter with Jesus, right? Why would she go out of her way and do this if her encounter was just skin deep like these guys? Right? They knew Jesus. And church, it's not because she was special and it's not because she was better than anyone else. But she probably had an experience with Jesus that revealed to her that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. And Jesus probably saved her when she thought that she couldn't be saved. And it, realized, and it made her realize that her, her most prized possession, you know, Jesus was worth that. So this woman, she was so ready and willing, and she was ridiculed for Jesus. And the text doesn't say it, but I think it's safe to say she had an encounter with Jesus. So these men, they were so focused on the alabaster jar and how much it was worth that they didn't even realize who Jesus was. And they were his friends. They were sitting right next to him. They were having dinner with him. But they had no clue who he was. And then there's this woman here, and she's so focused on Jesus. She knows who he is. She's wholeheartedly devoted to him. And the alabaster jar doesn't matter anymore because she knew that he was worth so much more than that. Church, maybe there's some of us here today Right? Maybe you feel like you're holding back something from Jesus, from God. Right? You feel like it will cost you too much. But let me be honest with you. Head knowledge isn't enough. The issue is we need to have a real encounter with Jesus at the core of our being. Because otherwise, it's always going to be too much. Right? In Jeremiah 29, 13, it reads, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Let's pursue Jesus with everything we have, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's learn from this unnamed woman. If for her this simple encounter with Jesus was enough for her to realize that he's worth something so precious to her, let's encounter Jesus every day, right? Let's read his word. Let's find out who he truly is. He tells us in the Bible. And let's constantly pray and worship him in his presence. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. It says in the scripture. But church, most importantly, we already have our encounter. Let's never forget the sacrifice here. Yeah? Jesus came down 2,000 years ago, and while we were still sinners, he came and died for us. Not to pursue, not just to pursue people, but Jesus came to pursue you. So let's be like this woman and know Jesus for who he truly is. Well, thank you so much, Ali. Um, guys, my name is Jordan. I'm your 
worship leader today, but I'm also the person who's going to be sharing the last point. Um, I almost said the creative director, sorry. Um, and now we draw to the last scene, which is the Lord's commendation. And what I want to share with us this morning is that God honors the unashamed offering. You see, as, as, as Pastor Ben and Micah and Ali have said, she was not meant to be there. She had every reason not to be there. You know, not only was she a woman existing in a male-dominated era, but she was an unnamed woman who invited herself to this banquet with men. And unless she was a servant, she was not meant to be there. And I also believe that she knew that what she was about to do would be so controversial and that she would be rebuked and ridiculed for her actions. Yet considering everything going against her, she made the decision to pour out this perfume over Jesus in the presence of everyone there. You imagine 20 people, I don't know how many people, and you're doing this act that you know you shouldn't, but you're still doing it. And then we come to Mark 12, verse 6. And it begins by saying, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And so what do we see here? We see that Jesus defends this unnamed, uninvited woman. He allows her to continue doing what she is doing, even going so far as to say that what she has done is beautiful, that it is praiseworthy. I can imagine at this moment that everyone present would have begun to ask Jesus, Jesus, why? Why would you defend this woman? Why would you let her waste this perfume all over you? Is it not better that we give it to the poor? Is it not a good thing to do that? Why, Jesus? And Jesus, most likely aware of this thought, continues in verse 7. He says, the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. And now don't misunderstand Jesus in verse 7. He's not saying that the poor aren't important, that helping the poor is wrong. In fact, we see examples in Mark um, chapter, ver chapter 10, verse 21, where Jesus looked and, and, and loved upon the rich young ruler, and he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. What Jesus is saying is that right now, at this very moment, as, as, as the, the speakers before me have alluded to, she realizes who is of greater importance. She realizes who Jesus is. She has been radically changed by Jesus. And in this moment, her attention is solely fixated on him, no one else. And I, I believe Jesus is saying in this moment, in verse 7, that you might see me as a great teacher or a rabbi, but this woman sees me as her Lord and her Savior. You might recline with me as if I'm going to be a friend, that I'm going to be here forever. But this woman treats me as she's never going to see me, as if she's never going to see me again. Those seated around Jesus had no sense of the occasion and missed what Jesus was alluding to. Their thoughts were so fixed on the good thing that they wanted to do that they forgot about the God that was sitting at the table with them. And, and they don't even realize what he's about to go through two days later, which is the crucifixion. Jesus continues to commend her offering, saying in verses 8 and 9, She has done what she could. She, come, she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel will be preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will also be spoken of as a memorial to her. In other words, this woman has done everything that she could with the unique position that she was placed in. We might not have a jar of expensive perfume like the Chanel bottle that, that Micah showed. 
We might not have a house or the, the most abundant amount of finances. I remember when I was a high school student or a uni student, I didn't have much to offer as a youth. But I do know that God has given me some gifts. And yeah, and, and, and the Bible in 1 Corinthians uh, tells us this, that God has given us each a unique gift, that we have all been given a unique gift um, that we can use for God and to serve Him. And when we give what we have to God wholeheartedly, without any ulterior motive, and sim- but simply to the joy of our Lord, and say that He honors you and He says, you have done a beautiful thing. He loves that. What's even more amazing is that God doesn't specifically care about the size of the offering, whether it be big or small. But what he cares more about for us, church, is he cares for the heart. You know, he asks, did you give your best for me? In Mark 12, we see another unnamed woman who makes an offering. I don't know if you remember, but she's the poor widow who only had two copper coins to give. And verses 43 and 44 says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. So you imagine, you know, people are making offerings, they're making, you know, 20 20 copper coins, I don't know how many dollars, how many denarii, but they're making large offerings. And this woman, these two copper coins are everything that she has. And she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. She had nothing after this. And like the woman in today's text, this woman has so many reasons to be ashamed and to not give an offering. She could have said things like, but this is all I have. What are two copper coins compared to, you know, all these other offerings that people are making? People are going to laugh at my offering. I don't, I don't have much to give. Yeah, what do we see? Yet this poor widow unashamedly makes her offering to God faithfully, with joy, and Jesus commends her again. What about us, church, who are serving you know, in this church who are giving monetary offerings to God? Do we find ourselves like this woman giving and serving with her everything with joy, unashamedly? Or do we find ourselves serving with other motives? We give because we know it's the right thing to do, because we grew up in church and, you know, we give our 10%. Or do we give maybe comparatively, you know, looking at the person next to us, wow, this person stacked two chairs, guess what? I'm going to stack four. I don't know. Perhaps you're on the other end of the spectrum where you're not even giving to God because you feel that you have nothing to give or what you you can give is not worth anything, that nothing will be important. And the story, you know, the story that I really think about when it comes to offering, I remember this story a long, long time ago when I was a youth and it really changed my posture of how I offer to God. It's a story about this little girl named Sarah and she was... Uh, she was in SK, she was in, you know, Alston Life Kids or Kids Church. And the teacher that morning prepared a lesson about being useful, teaching the children that everyone can be useful, everyone has a purpose, and that usefulness is serving God and that doing so is worthy of honor. Listening to this, Sarah and a teacher, uh, said to a teacher, and a teacher, what can I do? I don't know how to do many useful things. And this resonates with me because when I first came to Christ, it's like, you know what? I don't know. I don't have much to give. And then the teacher, seeing an empty flower vase on the windowsill, the teacher said, Sarah, you can bring a flower in every week and you can fill that vase with a dandelion or a flower. Little Sarah frowned. She was like, but that's not important. To which the teacher responded immediately, it is if you are helping someone. 
from that week onwards, Sarah continued to place a dandelion in the vase every single week without the need for a reminder. For the creative guys, this means no Elvanto reminder. It means no notification on your app saying that you are rostered. She did so without a reminder. She did so wholeheartedly to the joy of the Lord. And then sadly, you know, as, as the weeks went by, Sarah was later diagnosed with leukemia. And she was getting weaker by the day. But before her final moments, she made one last trip to church. And again, she prepared a flower. But this time, it came with a note, which she slipped right next to the vase. It said, Dear God, this vase has been the biggest honor of my life, Sarah. So how does today's text apply to us? How does verses 6 to 9 apply to us this morning? It means that considering what Christ has done for us, we should live in a way that gives everything to Him. He's worthy of it. It means that when we offer something to God, no matter how big or how small, how thin or how wide it might seem, offer to Him wholeheartedly, with joy, unashamedly, because this is the type of giving that brings joy to Jesus. And if you think that you have nothing to offer, use this is for you as well. You might be young, but God has given you a gift. You might be in the middle age. God has still given you a gift. You might be seasoned. You might have been in church for a long time and you think, now is my time to retire. No, God still says that you have something to give. He's given you a gift in this season which you can offer to Him. And if, if you feel like you have nothing, remember that poor widow who gave her two copper coins. Remember little Sarah who faithfully, every single week, gave a flower and put it in that vase as her offering to God. Remember, the heart is what's important behind giving to Jesus, not the amount. And you know, that there's, there's another person who unashamedly offered himself up for us, and his name is Jesus. You know, Jesus knew his mission, the humiliation, the suffering, the backlash, the betrayal that was around the corner. This is two days before crucifixion. Judas was about to betray him and backstab him. He knew all of that, yet Jesus made the decision to die for him for the disciples, for everyone present, for you and for me. So that we could live in a relationship with Him. So that we could have a, li a living relationship with the living God. And so here we see a God who unashamedly gave Himself up for us. And here is a God who honors the unashamed offering. What an amazing God we serve. Amen. You know, if I was to uh, summarize the three teaching in the text, is that this lady here gave up her future, which was that perfume, because of a past experience. She encountered something in the past that she was willing to sacrifice her future. And for us as a community, as people following Jesus, we can only offer God whatever it is when the heart truly encounters what God has done for us in the past. It's never been about the size of the offering. It's never been about how big or how significant. He doesn't look at that. He looks at the heart. And the heart is what he looks at. Never the hands, but the heart. So it starts with the heart that encounters what he has done in the past. 
And I love what the preachers have been saying. All about a God who gave up his son some 2,000 years for you and for me. That is where it starts. When we encounter the cross for ourselves, not through the pastor, not through the connect leader, not through a friend, not through our parents, but ourselves, then we begin to offer him whatever it is, whether it is our time, whether it's our talents, whether it's our treasures. It starts with an encounter of the past. And I love the text because I think of next generation. I think of these beautiful young people in this church. They have a huge future ahead of them. And my prayer as their pastor, as father to my children, and I'm very sure that for those with children in next gen, your prayer is they also encounter the Jesus that you have encountered so that their future is one of offering to that Jesus. Amen. And I thank God for the three preachers this morning, Micah, Ali, and Jordan, for reminding us the beauty of this offering based on the encounter with Jesus. And for you and I today, this here, these beautiful children coming in right now, that's the future of this church. That's the future. I said to my Connect leaders a week ago, I said to them that when I planted this church here, I'm not thinking about me. I'm actually not even thinking about my, my children. I'm thinking about my children's children's children. I'm planning a church where I want to see my kids' kids' kids, the generations to come, would live a life of sacrifice because of the Jesus that I have come to know. That's why I planted this church here. And I look down and I see youth and I see kids and I see young adults. And I want them, if you're hearing me this morning, that you should start thinking about the generations to come. I know today is about you celebrating all you and we rejoice and we thank God for you. But I want to challenge you to think about the generations to come. And what we can do as a community here is to remind one another of what took place in the past. We're a God who gave up his life for us on that cross. And as we begin to trust him and welcome him into our lives, he transforms us. And we begin to live a life of offering. That's the passage right there.